millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I thought, you know, these guys, they do podcasts all the time, they must know. How little you understand. (laughs) UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Hello and welcome to the UK Tech Weekly Podcast. I am surrounded by a plethora of techies this morning because we're going to be talking about our favourite things of the year. Uh, we're going to talk about two things each. We're going to go round in an anti-clockwise manner, uh, but you don't care because you can't see us. Um, and we're going to start with uh, Dominic Preston, who is sitting to my right. Um, we are also going to cap uh, all of our favourite things at five minutes so that we don't bore you to tears. Uh, but you can also just not listen if we bore you to tears. Uh, Dom Preston. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, just just turn it off. We'll keep talking. It's fine. We will. We will keep talking regardless. Um, Don Preston, what did you like in the year of our Lord 2018? Uh, so I tried to have a thing. I was really trying hard to think of something that was actually like a, a tech thing, like a gadget or a device I loved this year. And there really wasn't anything. You know, those nice bits of tech I've had this year, but I haven't used anything that I've really absolutely loved. So I, I've done the boring thing and gone with a film and a game. Nice. So game first. Uh, which is Return of the Obra Dinn, uh, which is the first game in years by a guy called Lucas Pope, who uh, you may know for making the game Papers, Please, which was a little indie title years ago where you played as an immigration uh, border agent for a fictional Soviet country, and you basically did paperwork. And you just went through a lot of paperwork, checking people's passwords, (laughs) passports, dumping them for approval, things like that. And you sort of slowly were forced into making these sort of ethical decisions about immigration as you went on. Uh, and it sort of explored the way bureaucracy can sort of hinder our ethical uh, options. Uh, Return of the Obra is very different, but just as interesting and weird and wonderful. Uh, it's you play as an insurance agent who is uh, exploring a ship called the Obra Dinn in the, uh, I think it's the 19th century. It's a ship that sort of returned to port completely empty of all of its crew. And it's your job to figure out what happened to them and piece together the story of the Oberdin. And you have this sort of uh, this this uh, clock device that lets you basically replay people's uh, final moments, the moments they die. Ooh. So you're going around the ship, uh, finding these points where you can play out someone's death. And you sort of then get all of these out of order. So it's up to you to sort of piece together the order of the narrative from seeing all these different deaths. Uh and sort of in doing, you've also got to fill out this log, so you've got to identify people. So you're using little snippets of information. So you watch some person's death scene, and in that, someone calls someone by the name Graham. 
and then someone else mentions a Graham somewhere else, and you can eventually piece together, oh, this Graham must be that Graham who was the first mate's assistant. Yeah. And you're sort of doing all this, and this is network of clues, this sort of web of information you're building up about the lives of these people. Uh, who knew what, who had these connections? There's a lot of trial and error as you sort of piece it together. And um, as this sort of then sort of low-key Lovecraftian narrative plays out and you start to realise all the weird shit that happened on this ship. <laughs> I can see why it doesn't have a mainstream appeal when the first line was, you play an insurance agent yeah. on a ship. Um, but clearly it, um, it goes above and beyond its sort of logline. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, you know, the same, I think that's sort of Pope's... Uh, they, I mean, the same with papers, please. You know, you play as an immigrations officer. Yeah. Like, pff, hard sell, mate. Yeah. But, uh, you know, That's papers, please game. was one of the best games. That was yeah, a really, really good game. game. I just yeah. loved role playing as a Soviet agent. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I think I prefer Oberdin. It's got uh, more interesting gameplay, but just as interesting a way of tying gameplay and narrative together and really making them seamless. And it's a mechanic I've not really seen explored before. I'd love to see more games do this kind of thing. It's also got a really beautiful aesthetic, even more so than Papers, Please, which had a cool visual style. This is this wonderful sort of grayscale gray look. It looks like it's purposely drawing on sort of the early eras of PC uh, adventure games where you had very limited graphics, but in a way that then is set in this 3D world that feels very realizable. And you can still make out enough detail even in this sort of grayscale setting where all this stuff plays out. Uh, it's a really, really wonderful game. You can play through it in about four or five hours. Oh, nice. I, I sort of bought it thinking, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll you know, like, play this in a few days because I was in the middle of reviewing something else. And I just thought, I'll dip in for half an hour and see what it's like. And five hours later, there I was uh, at the end credits having spent all night playing this. Excellent. That's a sign of a great game. Uh, right on time. Uh, jumping on. to Tamlin McGee. Wait, I've got to do a film, don't I? I no, we'll go round. Oh, we're going round when Yeah. Each. All right, ignore me. Um, Tamlin. Uh, completely predictably, um, I've been warned not to talk about this too much because we dedicated half of a podcast to it, but Red Dead Redemption 2 is just probably one of my favourite video game experiences ever. It probably uh, deserves the amount of time we've given it. It's fantastic and it just kept me surprised the whole way through. Uh, aside from just being a fantastic cowboy simulator, what more could you want? Uh, <laughs> it, the story, the the set pieces and just how long it went on for as well, like without spoiling it, I assume everyone who's got it is played it through already by now anyway but like there's a good 60 hours of story driven gameplay in there which is just enormous i think when it first came out people were talking about oh, the size of the map and oh my god it's 100 gigs or whatever but yeah. you see why because it's just like a living breathing world and it's just phenomenal enjoyed it a lot bro did anyone else play it i haven't played it yet i didn't actually i i'm sort of <clears throat> curious i do want to play it i've not played the first red dead um either of them um and I'm not normally a massive fan of Rockstar's games. Like I like the GTA stuff, but they tend to bore me after a while. I've never really yeah. gotten into them. I'm really curious to play Red Dead because it sounds like it might be a game I hate, but it might be a game that's really interesting. I'm really curious uh, when it was sort of the way Zelda Breath of the Wild totally transformed open world games last year. It sounds like Red Dead sort of has some of the stuff you from that know. in different directions and... You know what, it is Rockstar-esque. There's a lot of yeah. fetch quests and you go to this location and shoot these people or whatever. But mm. also if you love West, the Western genre, which I do, I've been watching loads of them this year. Mm. Uh, it's just, there's so many homages paid to like classical 
West classic Western films in ways that you just wouldn't expect as well. Yep. So it just like <clears throat> that's yeah. what they've always been so good at, and that's why I love Vice City because Vice City has so many great kind of film references. Yeah, um, yeah a whole quest line with Spinal Tap, basically. Yeah, as well, yeah. Uh, and and it's interesting because obviously the first Red Dead had a lot of film homages, so it was like how what vein could they tap for this one? But I've heard there's a lot of kind of wild bunch, kind of the more. Um, sort of misanthropic westerns in there. There's a split second searchers reference when you're shoveling shit, <laughs> literally, and I just didn't expect it at all. It really took me, really That's great. Me. Yeah, no, so it's layered. Yeah, it's just just a phenomenal game. Bro. Anyway, uh, David Price. Well, this this follows on quite nicely actually, because um, I want to talk about a western. Oh yes. Um, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs which is the latest Coen Brothers uh, film, which has been released on Netflix, which is quite interesting in itself, and was originally going to be uh, a television series split into six episodes, but instead, and I don't, I don't know what the commercial pressures that led to this decision were, but they've made it into a single film split into six completely disparate strands. So you just have sort of, I guess, 10, 20 minutes of one story, and then it ends... And it's never spoken of again. No. Uh, the character never come back. And then just moves on to the next. And there's six these six strands. Uh, and you watch it and it's and it's it blew it blew my mind. I thought it was the best Coen Brothers film I'd seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best film I've seen in a long time. Uh, really violent, really funny. Really strange as well. Really strange. Really and I like film, yeah. I, I like that's what I want from my Coen Brothers films. I like that they've never compromised on that. Like you go back to the first ones, and it, this is no less strange than those. What do I mean? No more strange. Um, I, I don't know who else has seen it. Yeah, I've, seen, I've it. seen it, loved it. Um, I'm not sure if it was commercial pressures that turned this mm. from an anthology series into a movie. I think it was possibly more an aesthetic decision. It might be the other way around. Origin- originally, they were working on it as a movie. Actually, they've been working on it for like years and years. Oh, and, years. and then it went to TV and then yeah, back to right. movie. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. But you can kind of tell, obviously, from its structure that it started out as a TV show, and then yeah. they kind of use this storybook mechanism to kind of link them together. But I did when I started the movie, I expected them to over lap and it's interesting yeah. that they don't they're completely standalone no i really thought that um but they overlap in theme yeah but like the first like the first couple particularly uh, and again i don't want to give away too many spoilers but it's sort of uh, it's sort of clear as you go along they yeah. end in these very sort of just almost anticlimactic ways for the title characters it's just it, it ends quite badly yeah because the theme of the whole thing is sort of about things ending badly it's yeah it's um, really about death like and, most coming brother movies exactly so. and, and and i was sort of thinking that you know you get the james franco character or whatever and you think well he's going to come back later on they'll somebody will rescue him and yeah it doesn't uh, that's not really that sort of a film um what was your favorite of the six out of interest uh, definitely the gal who got rattled yes I liked um, the Tom Waits one especially. I yeah, just it's thought, between those two for me. Even even just visually, it was astonishing. I felt like I, I was jumping and living that. Yeah, I, I don't know where they filmed it, but it was just so lush and amazing how they shot that one in particular. I thought. I also thought that um, I'm going to watch it again because I think it will reward multiple viewings. But I think the Liam Neeson one will get better with That's multiple viewings because it's it's one. an astonishing little vignette of a film. Yeah. Anyway, I could talk about this. Um, <clears throat> all afternoon but we are out of time for you David so uh, we're going to jump over to Sean Uh, I'm going to continue the media theme Uh, I'm going to want to talk about Daredevil season 3 which was uh, sadly recently cancelled probably has a whole lot to do with uh, Disney's streaming service that is opening up at some point next year Um, 
but yeah, Daredevil. I think as as a uh, someone who's not a huge fan of the Marvel films, um, I think that the uh, sort of Netflix um, sort of uh, Daredevil, The Punisher, and then just maybe to a lesser extent, sort of Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, um, can sort of show that you can have a uh, a medium that's split right down the middle and sort of aimed at two completely different audiences and done in two different ways that isn't really seen a whole lot in other areas i'd suggest unless someone has a great example they're about to come across me with um but yeah i think that uh, as a as a series it's continued all three seasons have been super strong all the way through um and uh yeah it's um yeah pretty pretty incredible um yeah i i liked but didn't love it this year i mean i thought it was a definite step up from season two which was pants um but i am not too saddened by the cancellation because i think after for me the netflix marvel shows peaked with daredevil season one and jessica jones season one and sort of everything from then on has been pale imitation of that for me everything's been sort of them trying to recapture that magic that those two seasons of tv which i think those two seasons are phenomenal and i just don't think anything they've done since has quite matched it this i mean this year was a huge step up from before i think a lot of that's having vincent d'onofrio back as kingpin yeah uh, it shows how much he was missing from season two uh, briefly there, but not not in a big way. You're not, not you're not a fan of the Punisher. Uh, Punisher was good. Okay. Again, but not. I think that you know the part of the problem is all these shows are they are. They're very long and they're very slow and they're padded out unnecessarily. I was disappointed that this didn't do what I think either Leap Cage two or Iron Fist two was a shorter episode count ten episodes. Okay. Uh, I was hoping they were going to do that for Daredevil three because I think that one of the biggest problems these shows have had is like. 13 episodes, and they never tell a 13-episode story. Yes. They tell an 8-episode story in 13 episodes. Yeah. And often they have characters rehash, like, the same moral crisis again and yes, again and yeah, again. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I get the idea. Yeah. Like, Daredevil's deciding whether to kill or not. Like, yeah, it's yeah, the seventh true. time he's monologued about it in three episodes. What, what does, for someone who's, like, <laughs> com- completely superhero illiterate, what does Daredevil do? Does he dare to do things? or? <laughs> he's a, a blind lawyer. Okay. Who oh, has the, like uh... super hearing from from his sight loss, so oh, okay. he fights crime in a, in a devil costume. Yeah, which is still bordering on the you know ludicrous, but it's, yeah. he's a much more relatable superhero. It's kind of an oxymoron, right? But he's, I think if you're blind, he, yeah, he's an interesting blind, one because he's Catholic as well. So a lot of it plays right. into Catholic guilt. Yeah, the idea of this Catholic dressed up as the devil. Why? Why that? Uh, he's in he's in the New York District Hell's Kitchen, which is kind of where it comes mm-hmm. from, but. Sort of, you know, a, a lot of it plays on the religious themes, but in an interesting way. You know, yeah, I always like that stuff. I, did, it, did it just get cancelled? Did I see? Yes, yes, it did. Do we know why? But Disney, Disney streaming Stream service, probably, so basically cleaning house. Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Daredevil, all gone. Devil lobby, Anglicans, <laughs> The Punisher, and Jessica Jones left. They both have new seasons next year, and everyone's expecting basically Netflix going to drop the season of each, and then a week later say, and it's gone. Okay, and it's gone. It's clearly some some pressure between the two companies to. Uh, clear all that away so that Marvel can get those characters back. Yeah, makes sense. Great, thanks Sean. Uh, Karen? Well, I'm not going to talk about any films on Netflix or TV series <laughs> on Netflix or games because I don't have time for that sort of thing. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about uh, the first of two Apple products that um, were announced this year which were a little bit of a surprise to be honest because we kind of thought Apple was about to discontinue them. And I'm going to start with the Mac Mini um, the Mac Mini was the Mac that was introduced like over a decade ago and it was really aimed at switches, people coming from Windows to Mac and it was also really low cost so it was like £399 when it launched or something you just would not even imagine an Apple product being 
priced at today. No, a quarter of a MacBook Air. Yeah. <laughs> so they have updated the Mac Mini, and it's not it's not sort of your entry level Mac anymore. It's still got a low price, seven hundred ninety nine pounds. But in the scheme of things, that's that's a low price for a Mac. Um, and it's pretty powerful, actually. I mean, Apple's looking at the market that was desperate for this Mac to be upgraded, and they are people who run um, server libraries and you know um, developers and people yeah. who need a powerful Mac, but they don't want to have they don't need an extra display. Um, and you know they probably have one already, and keyboard and mouse and all of that stuff. So keep the price down and um they haven't changed the design and part of that is because they're trying to fit it into these banks of servers and people have already committed five thousand mac minis aren't going to want to get new racks to stick them in so um yeah i thought it was pretty interesting that they actually updated a low-cost mac rather than just continuing to sell incredibly high-priced products mm. i thought what was interesting about it was the range of the specs you can get on this one now mm. like how it starts lowish you know 800 but you know you you put in all the top specs and it's a four thousand pound four thousand yeah. dollar machine like they, there's there's a real breadth in the kind of options they put here to try and capture these two weird very different Dis- markets, markets they've yeah. got which is sort of like people want an entry-level cheap thing or like to use it as a media streamer and then as you said people who actually want a really high spec mm. server kind of machine um and yeah i thought it was interesting that this thing this thing ranges from 800 to four four grand and uh, you get a lot of choice there, which you don't always get with Apple stuff. Often you're sort of, the base specs are fairly fixed and you just get to play around a little bit with storage or one processor option. You know, there's a lot more flexibility here. So it's interesting as well because, I mean, partly because Apple hasn't updated the iMac this year, um, you've actually ended up with a Mac Mini that is comparable to a decent iMac and mm. half the price or more, you know. So it's interesting because it's kind of left Apple left apple fans in a position of like you know actually we can get a decent mac for half the price have you heard any sort of responses from people who have made that switch from windows to mac with this product and do they like it better well the thing is it's like the whole windows switcher thing happened 10 years ago and i think that it's not it's not necessarily apple's focus now with the mac mini isn't about winning over windows users i don't think i think that was the case like 10 years ago when we had like well more than 10 years ago when we had the intel switch and and they were doing their switcher campaign and you had all the adverts pc and mac remember that um i think now it's it's about new markets of people like well you, you know the developers who've come over to the mac because they're developing for ios and everything else and right. you know you use the mac because you can use windows as well as everything else whereas on a windows machine you can't use mac os and you know there, there are lots of reasons why people might be considering a mac mm-hmm. who hadn't before but i don't think it's not that apple's trying to win them over with this machine they're mm-hmm. just trying to provide the machine that those people need mm-hmm. to do what they do so Great, cool. thanks, Karen. Um, I am going to talk about another thing on Netflix, um, which is a running theme. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Alex Garland sci-fi movie Annihilation. Um, it's one of the best films I've seen all year. Um, in a year where there weren't that many great sci-fi movies, um, for a little bit of context, it's it's uh, the British novelist, now filmmaker Alex Garland, who made uh, Ex Machina a few years ago, which is another fantastic sci-fi movie. Uh, it follows a band of of uh, women uh, led by Natalie Portman who kind of venture into this strange area called the Shimmer where kind of the rules of nature and evolution have all gone haywire. Um, it is a very, very bizarre film um, that has a, a really 
unique kind of atmosphere to it. It's kind of split into three defined acts. The first act um, is is quite strange in its own. The second act is a bit like an action movie set in the Shimmer. And then the third act is is one of the most bizarre things you're ever going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, paired with a, a, a magnificent soundtrack that kind of um, rings in your ears. I was lucky enough to see this in a cinema um, because I was in the US when it got its limited release. Um, and I'm really glad that I, I got to... Got to see in the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm really, yeah, I'm really glad I got to go and, and see it there. Um, Dom, I know you were also a fan of this film. I, I, I absolutely loved it, and I was fuming that Scott got to see it on the big screen. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a big thing that it just went straight to Netflix here in the UK, and we never got cinema release. And now Netflix does do cinema releases. Six months later, it started doing one week cinema releases for a lot of its big films, like Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Roma, the Alfonso Cuaron film that's just come out. But out of you know this spring, it didn't do that at all. So. Uh, I'm still sort of holding out for repertory screenings at the Prince Charles Cinema or somewhere like that because uh, I'd love to see on the big screen. The visuals are stunning. The effect stuff is stunning, sort of both practical and, and digital. Yeah. Uh, it's gnarly and grisly and gross. Yeah, it's there's weird. a couple of bits in that middle section yeah. uh, involving kind of animals and the insides of people, which yeah. really will stick with you. You, you uh, know, what? I, I, I sorry, I, I really wanted to love it because I, I yeah. thought conceptually it was cool, and I thought it was kind of distilling like some of Tarkovsky's stuff, but for, for yeah. like a mass audience, which was really cool. But um, I, I got lost sort of at the the halfway point with all the action stuff because I felt the CGI was so cheap and tacky. Really? It just really, really, really threw me off. Yeah, oh, I didn't think that at all. Yeah, well, I thought that 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 bear creature bear, uh, it's the scariest thing anyone's put on screen this year yeah i agree yeah. uh bear was, yeah hor- yeah horrible horrible sequence terrifying well, i heard similar things about the cgi in buster scruggs actually and I, I didn't feel this myself but my friend watched it and the bit particularly with the angels going up to heaven and, yeah but various other bits like the fingers getting shot off and stuff like that i feel like and that was a stylistic because, choice well yeah that's what i thought too but he felt like because it had been done for netflix they'd cut the budget or something so i, I don't think netflix are cutting the budget sure yeah. i think they'd have enough money although i read somewhere they are all tend to be shot on a similar kind of camera so they've all got mm-hmm. a similar uh aesthetic look to them similar sort of colors and things. oh really but um i'm sure roma uh won't have that problem no I, d- I didn't feel that way about Buster Scruggs at all. No, it didn't no, take me no, out no. of it. But with Annihilation, it really yeah. did for some reason. Maybe because I was watching it on a crappy TV. That's know. what it I is. was going to say. Maybe it's the standard of your television. That, <laughs> it is you also know, quite If you've got room. a really great TV, maybe it looks worse because, you know. Yeah. While well, we discussed Netflix budgets and things, Annihilation is released by Netflix in the UK, but it wasn't actually made by Netflix. Okay. So it's not a Netflix original in that sense. So any question mm. about Netflix budgets or camera setup won't really apply. It was made for a studio in the States, which is why it had the theatrical release. When we were um, prepping for this podcast, and I use inverted commas for prepping. Um, <laughs> Frantic Googling five minutes before. I was at one point considering cheating and just kind of <laughs> saying Netflix as my thing, because I just think they've had such a phenomenal year mm. in terms of quality of output. Um, and I think they will be having a very sort of lavish Christmas party this year because Roma, Buster Scruggs, Annihilation are all possible Oscar candidates yep. across the board. Uh, and that is what they've wanted for a long time. I know they felt they I know they screened three movies at Cannes last year, but none of yeah. them really kind yeah. of took the cultural kind of conversation away. And this year they've really done that. We were talking about. Sorry, go on. Go, oh, no, go I was on. just going to say because that's just made me think. You know, next year we reckon sort of March, April, Apple is going to announce its kind of competitor to Netflix, going to start offering stream content that it's making right now, and 
I just feel like, you know, have they got a hope in hell of competing, really? They're with just Netflix? behind, aren't yeah. they? So, they're so late to the party. Yeah, yeah. so late. Disney gets to get away with being late because it comes with the biggest IP it's in the catalogue, yeah. yeah. Um, but sp- Apple doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were talking about this the other day, Scott. Um, I'm curious as to if these Netflix originals, in like the real sense, if they're informed by like data analytics and what people <laughs> like from like open social media channels. And, and, if, and if so, <laughs> are we going to get to a point where like there's a kind of new formulaic where themes and sort of acts of suspense get repeated because that's what the data says well yeah if you look at the i can't remember who sent this round cards was the original wasn't it where they worked out the people that like kevin spacey also like david fincher and also like the original uk house of cards and therefore they made but also uh, they worked out they worked out that people like movies where people fall in love with members of the royal family and they've put out about three of those this year (laughs) so there are certain sort of genre tropes that they definitely pull through their analytics engine and then they just supply that demand. I feel but like I we, we spoke about this once before about how there's a real emphasis on like violence and all of the kind of things I don't like watching on Netflix and Amazon and everything else because that's what people want to watch. So there's a massive amount of that kind of content and not much... But also else. they made a black and white sort of personal movie from well, a yeah. famous Mexican director which... It's not violent. And I was going to say, it's worth making a point. There's going to be a distinction there between the stuff they're making for mass market, so to speak, and the stuff like Buster Scruggs and Roma, yeah. which they... is them trying to get the kudos, trying to get the awards cred, where they will go to a big filmmaker. And it, almost all of these filmmakers say of working with Netflix that they've had more creative freedom than they ever got in the studio system. Really? Mm. Yeah, they love yeah. it. They really do love it's it. It's the BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed News thing. It's they want to have yeah. the, 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 the prestige yeah. division. Yeah. And everything is paid for by exactly. relentless, yeah. data-driven clickbait. So I don't think they're going to <laughs> That's Alfonso Cuaron and saying the algorithm says this, Alfonso, you've got to make this film. They'll say, Alfonso, here's a budget, do whatever you want with it. Be inter- yeah, Alfonso, someone else our algorithms say, say we don't like black and white. Yeah. <laughs> so don't film in black and white. Uh, we've gone way over there. Uh, we're oh, going to yeah. take a short break uh, in between our two things, and then we'll be right back. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And we're back, Dom. Uh, what is your second thing? Uh, I'm going to continue on with the sort of uh, the film trend, though this isn't a Netflix one. 
I, I I was really struggling with this. I, I put together a film top ten of the year the other day, and that, that was hard enough. Trying to then pick one of them to go for was even trickier. So I am going to have an honorary mention briefly at the end. But my pick actually is Mission Impossible. I'm so Fallout, glad you just said that. <laughs> which I it, it took a lot of thought, and I, I I I can't quite believe it's my favorite film of the year. Though in retrospect, Ghost Protocol was probably my favorite film of the year. That came out way back when. Um, but I liked but didn't love Rogue Nation. It's the same director returning, Christopher McQuarrie. But oh my god, Mission Impossible Fallout <laughs> is a bloody stunner of a film. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I haven't watched a Mission Impossible since the original, but I watched Fallout the other day, and it is phenomenal. It is incredible. No really? one has made yes, an action movie honestly. like this in a decade. I've heard it's really best good. Best well. action yeah. movie this year, bar none, by far, not even a close second. It's so ludicrous. I always complain that because of superhero films, nobody makes Die Hard anymore. Uh, is it is Mission Impossible now Die Hard? It's not a Die Hard, but it's it's what you want James Bond to be. It's Bond, yeah. It's Bond um, on steroids. Yeah, it is big it and is. practically made, almost all of it. You know, they throw Tom Cruise out of a plane at high altitude. They make Tom Cruise fly a helicopter, all this stuff. Uh, and there's that thrill of knowing I'm watching Tom Cruise almost die. But it's all <laughs> so brilliantly done. And there's, there's only one greater thrill than that. <laughs> there's a there's a massive uh, bathroom fist fight that is obviously an homage to True Lies, um, but is also just the best fist fight anyone's put on screen this year. Probably uh, Henry Cavill reloads his arms yeah. mid fight, which is brilliant. And Henry Cavill is so great. In Henry this Cavill's film. great. I hated Henry Cavill until Fallout, and now I love Henry Cavill. <laughs> Henry Cavill in that helicopter sequence is yeah. just some of the best stuff on screen so this year. They, 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 they make him actually well, do yeah. these things. Me, me and David Tom are just uh, just yeah. smiling because we used to work with his brother. He used to work here. Mm. Well, he's he's the Channel Islands finest, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> But um, does it sort of signal a shift away from over-reliance on, sorry, going back to CGI, over-reliance on CGI in action films? Because I feel that's what kind of puts me off with action films also. It's not a shift away. It's what Mission Impossible has long made its selling point. And a sort of the thing that makes this series stand out is ever, especially since Ghost Protocol onwards, they've made a point of saying, we're the practical effects action movie series. We're the one where we actually get the helicopter, we actually get the plane. And particularly, we actually make Tom Cruise do it all. And he's, you know, they've always led their marketing with this. You know, they, they sort of made this rare thing of doing a marketing push for the film a year and a bit before it came out because they put Tom Cruise in the cast on the Graham Norton show to show off footage where he'd actually fucked his leg up. He really hurt himself, yeah. didn't he? Doing a stunt. Wasn't that in London as well? Was that yeah, the so roof he was jump? In so he was doing a roof jump between two roofs in London for this amazing foot chase across, like from St. Paul's across to Black the Tate Fries Modern Bridge. over Blackfriars Bridge, which Tom Cruise actually did this run over all the... Um, but he, yeah, runs, he, jumps... he runs for honestly about eight minutes straight yeah, at a full sprint. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, yeah, he did a jump between two roofs, screwed up the landing, snapped something in his leg. Like you see the footage, and his foot post in ways his feet shouldn't go. But being Tom Cruise, he then lands, he gets up, and he runs off. And that shot is still in the movie. And if you look, you can see the point where he slightly drags his right leg behind <laughs> oh him as he runs off after this. Because that's the shot they had, and they were like, yeah, it works. What a pro. We still got the shot. They had to what stop filming for six months. But um, yeah, just it, it is mind blowing. It keeps finding ways to top itself. If you watch any of the trailers, you'll think, oh, I've seen all the best bits. You haven't. It gets better and better and better. I saw it twice in the cinema. I can't wait to see it again. It was genuinely that kind of jaw dropping experience where you kept going, they're not going to. They're not going to. How did they? And, and it keeps getting better and better and better and building and building and building. And uh, it's a. a yeah, I, I, my biggest hope now for sort of you know future action stuff is that Christian McQuarrie is the person who steps in to direct the Bond after the next one, sort yep. of the first post Daniel Craig Bond, 
in sort of four or five years' time, I hope it's Macquarie because if he could bring that kind of energy to the Bond franchise with a new Bond, you know, that'd be a great way to bring bring Bond back and bring it slightly lighter in tone, but without being sort of goofball Roger Moore. Um, that would be phenomenal. I think they should do Bond as a period piece. I'd love that. That would be great. Um, My quick honorary mention is Mandy, which is a little Nicolas Cage film which uh, had a very brief run uh, in cinemas for like a week or two and is now out on home entertainment. Uh, It's really nuts. Um, It's the closest, it's the only time any film has ever genuinely made me feel like I was on hallucinogens. Not that I've tried hallucinogens. (laughs) Uh, it you is can imagine. Weird. It's dark. It's gory. It's horrible. Nicholas Cage grins at the camera like a fucking terrifying lunatic. It's the most Nicholas Cagey Nicholas Cage film <laughs> without being a parody of Nicholas Cage films. Yeah. It's an art house Nicholas Cage film that's the most Nicholas Cage and the least Nicholas Cage at once. <laughs> There's a chainsaw fight, like two chainsaws. One of which is a super long chainsaw for some reason. There's some like gimp devils. There's an evil like religious cult. <laughs> Uh, it's phenomenal. The use of colour in that film was amazing. It was like yes. a Giallo film. It was like a Giallo doom metal music video that lasted for two hours. Yes. It was fantastic. Yeah. I really loved it. Uh, the soundtrack as well, I've completely forgotten his name, but the Icelandic, I think, composer who died. Johan Johansson. It was his last score. Uh, and it's breathtaking as well. Psychic castration and more. What yeah. more could you want? Really I'm, phenomenal. I'm going to have to cut you off. <laughs> Tamlem. So to speak. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's funny that we all obviously want to be film critics. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, my favourite thing of this year in terms of film wasn't a new release this year. It was the platform Filmstruck that has sadly gone because I started throwing myself into cinema in a, without sounding sound too pretentious, like more seriously uh, late last year. I discovered it this year and it's got like half of the Criterion collection on it and some really interesting uh, pieces that you probably would have difficulty pirating if you couldn't track down the uh, DVD copy so it was a it was a really great introduction into a lot of things that I otherwise wouldn't have seen uh, like I saw a Soviet film called The Ascent which was just ludicrously brutal black and white story about uh, two Soviet soldiers who end up in Nazi territory and yeah it's just really bleak but I would never have even heard of it had that platform not been around uh, so RIP Filmstruck R.I.P. Filmstruck, but I've heard that there's some form of replacement on the way. Is yeah, it a new think, Criterion product? Yeah, Criterion are going to be more heavily involved, I think. Okay. Um, I, I, don't, I can't remember the exact details, but they are going to relaunch it in some capacity, I think. Yeah. Um, in the UK, you didn't have the full Criterion collection on there, but you had a decent chunk of it. In the US, you had, I think, every Criterion release. Yeah, So I'm, amazing. Yeah, so I'm hoping that they managed to bring that to the UK, because that would just be like a really valuable yeah. thing. So much value for money just for a tenner a month just yeah. access to all those amazing films nice I've also the closest thing we have in the UK right now if you want an interim thing is movie which mm. isn't quite the same in that there's only 30 films at a time but they add a new film every day and take away a film every day and it is a really interesting mix uh, you get the nice curations you don't have a limitless library to browse you've just got 30 films to look at at any given time and they pick some really interesting stuff some will be recent films but they will find um, you know, strange little black and white movies from the 30s, foreign right. stuff from the 60s. It's all over Argentine the classics from yeah. the 70s that you'd yeah. never have heard of. It's yeah, lovely. Yeah. And there's great curation. They also let you know why they've picked that film. So they can do little strands where they'll do a certain director for a few days or some direct guest director will come in and pick a few films for a few days. Oh, that's stuff nice. Stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it's not quite the same thing, but if you're looking for that kind of place in your streaming library, movies are the best bet right now. Cool. Pirating stuff is really good as well. <laughs> <laughs> we don't endorse it, but it's, no. wicked. it's wicked though. <laughs> <laughs> 
That sounded a bit like an <laughs> Well, you know. Bryce. Uh, so you all expected me to say the Apple Watch Series 4. Yeah, and the Apple Watch Series 4 is a very, very good product. Oh, God, um, you should all... No, don't start talking no, about um, <laughs> The second generation Apple Pencil. Uh, I, and I really like that. And it's an interesting sort of case study in why um, doing a product really badly <laughs> is quite helpful when you make the, the follow-up. Because the original Apple Pencil, uh, it was a very good stylus, but had all sorts of practical issues with it. You, you had to, um, to charge it. You had to plug it into the lightning port of an iPad, which meant that it stuck right out and it was very easy to sort of um, break it off almost and damage the lightning port and all these sort of things. And you never and you never actually charged it because of that. So whenever you got it out, it would run out of battery. And the new one, um, it has a flat edge on one side and you just magnetically attach it to the iPad and it wirelessly charges, which means that whenever you get it out, it has charge and it's easy to use. And it's just much better. Functionality wise, does it work like a charm as well? Yeah. So, well, the original the original Apple Pencil was was probably the best stylus for the iPad that you could get, and it was very very good. This is just as smooth, just as uh, responsive, because it's speaking directly to it. It's not you know it's not a dumb stylus, um, but it also has a new double tap feature on the the flat edge that you use for the magnetic attachment. You can also double tap that, and depending on which app you're using, that will then switch from like uh, write to erase or whatever they've implemented on that specifically um, but it's not you know it's not a very exciting product um, um, when it came out with the new iPad Pro uh, it didn't get quite as much attention but it's a really really good stylus and they've improved it in a really sensible and I would almost yeah. say humble way that they've acknowledged that they really dropped a bollock on it uh, on its practical <laughs> yeah. side on the charging stuff and they was were, it humble or was it courage <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah they're not going to use that word again. <laughs> no um, yeah I, I think it's brilliant so it works with the uh, new iPad that was introduced in March as well yeah uh, no, no it doesn't so it doesn't no. right and the new iPad Pro yeah it's the funny thing is that each iPad or iPad Pro can either use the old Apple Pencil or the new one there, there is no overlap at all so the uh, so the iPad 9.7 inch 2018 only use the first and the new ones only use the second so it's a bit weird so do you think that's apple basically trying to make the ipad pro more appealing by giving it this pencil that no i mean it it certainly does make it more appealing um but there's plenty of good stuff about the new ipad pro as well the lack of home screen the lack of home button means it's got a much bigger screen to body ratio and it's very very powerful it's had a double jumping processor and i'm ending up talking about three apple products (laughs) so yeah buy the apple pencil great Jump. If you've got an iPad Pro. Yes, if you've got a new, new iPad Pro. Uh, I'm going to do a hard right turn and talk about AMD, um, who this year uh, have done a release really of slew of products um, and done really well. Um, and the reason why I want to highlight this is because uh, much in the sort of way that NVIDIA have with graphics cards, Intel were pretty much dominating the high-end processor market for both uh, commercial and consumer for a while. Um, and then AMD, the plucky underdog that everyone loves to love, uh, came, out of, uh, came out of nowhere. <laughs> Um, and uh, done some really good stuff. So um, their Ryzen 2 series, uh, which uh, launched at the start of this year, um, which is uh, topped off by the 2700X, um, is has more cores than the <laughs> Intel Intel counterpart, is cheaper, and also comes with some incredibly good CPU cooling out of the box. So you're getting better value for money, It's and it's also cheaper, um, which, is, which is great. Um, AMD have also uh, sort of taken over the space between consumer and sort of server level processors with a Threadripper range, um, which Intel are sort of retreating from, uh, but by, by mass. Um, 
and they're doing this while also producing graphics cards to go up against Nvidia. Um, and yeah, just in general, they're providing some sort of competition to a region where Intel really had a bit of a monopoly. I heard actually, um, talking to some journalists at the thing yesterday, um, that Intel have been poaching a bunch of AMD execs recently. Yeah. Which is really interesting because, I mean, they've, they've coasted for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah, they really have. Um, and it's sort of, you know, and, and this is what uh, NVIDIA is very much doing the same thing that Intel were doing a few years ago, where they're just not really being challenged. And you sort of feel, the other reason why you've got a lot of AMD is because they're competing against NVIDIA and Intel in different market spaces. And they're, you know, taking uh, market control from uh, Intel off one, which is kind of incredible. Um, and also, they, they do other things like, um, you know, if, if you basically want to get the latest Intel processors, you're going to need another motherboard. You need to buy a new motherboard, which isn't, isn't cheap, obviously. David's nodding, like oh, you understand. Obviously. Obviously. That whole problem. Yeah, whereas, whereas AMD will... Um, God, another bloody motherboard. <laughs> another, another, another motherboard. AMD will let you... Um, they're making their processors backwards compatible, so use the same socket. So you can just buy a new processor and put it into your current AMD motherboard, which, again, just reduces cost and uh, everything else. So, yeah, thumbs up, AMD, two thumbs up. AMD, if anything. Wicked. How are they doing in terms of market share? Are they genuinely clawing back some market share from Intel? Yeah, a lot. Um, the other thing is where they've sort of pioneered the um, APU movement, which is a CPU and a GPU uh, on one chip, um, which means that if you want to sort of do any low-end gaming on a laptop, um, it's, their, it's their Raven Ridge range, um, which means that games like, though it's still quite recent, but are perhaps less graphically intensive, such as Overwatch or things like that, you can pick up an AMD laptop with this APU and it will, it will, it will do well. Whereas, you know, if on an Intel piece, or they're, they're catching up in this area, it's still a bit a bit ropey. They saw they didn't mm. have that crossover over performance. You can get like a fairly high-end Intel processor laptop and it just will struggle with gaming if you don't have the right yep. yeah. get inside. Yeah, absolutely. And that's you know, something where um, AMD moving forward. Um, and what's interesting as well is today, Intel announced their 10 nanometer architecture, which is coming later this year. Um, which is a big deal. Is that um, tick or talk? Either or. Right. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, and so it will be interesting to see how AMD follow up. Um, there was rumours they were working on seven nanometer, so they can somehow leapfrog Intel, and the next year is going to be very interesting because it will be a real market upset. I mean, there is an argument that Intel are focusing much more on um, sort of AI related stuff, as self driving cars. I mean, they're the ones um, sort of supplying all the hardware for that sort of stuff in that market. But yeah. Interesting, interesting times in processor land. How how much smaller can these processors get? Because seven nm processing is like yeah, is insane. Um, I don't. I, that's an interesting interesting question. I don't know. Um, obviously, smaller um, nanometer processors are better for a number of reasons. Um, the electricity has less distance to travel, which means that um, information can move faster across the die. Um, it also means that because as to travel less far, it requires less power, which means less heat. And the main thing that kills clock speeds on a, a CPU is it just they just overheat. I mean, it was a, sort of a few years ago where um, AMD managed to get a processor up to sort of like nine gigahertz clock, but it just exploded afterwards. <laughs> it just needs like liquid helium to keep it cold. Um, and if you see all these processor events, people sort of you know overclocking, just pouring liquid helium or nitrogen onto the motherboard just to keep it cool. Um, but yeah, so good, all good, all nice, fun. great. Uh, Karen, second thing. Yeah, back to Apple. Um, oh my God, we're going back to back uh, Apple. Yeah, back to <laughs> Apple. Um, so I did mention earlier that there was another Mac I was going to talk about, and it's the MacBook Air, um, which, like the Mac Mini, had kind of been left untouched for ages. I mean, Apple last updated, really updated the MacBook Air in 2015. 
and um they had kind of done like tiny little updates to it in 16 and 17 but these were just like upping the spec according to the um, build to order options so it still kept its board world chip which was like from 2014 you know it so it was it was old but surprisingly popular and you know the amount of people i knew who just rushed out and bought a macbook air that was basically four years old um i really should have asked me but (laughs) um so yeah we'd been thinking they were going to discontinue that and they uh, they didn't well i mean it's not it's not that big a surprise because there were plenty of rumors that they were going to update it um and the new MacBook Air is it's had a redesign so it's smaller and lighter um it's got like a bit of a theme this year of apple was reducing the bezels for bigger screens and the MacBook Air also got that because the old MacBook Air the bezels around the edge of the screen were like getting on for an inch so it it looks a lot better um and the processor inside although it's a sort of um a more kind of basic processor is still pretty decent compared to anything that's a few years old now so it's really good and um actually it kind of leaves the macbook as a bit of a like well why would anyone buy that it's yeah i was gonna say they, they cannibalized the macbook didn't yeah. they mm-hmm. it's a fraction smaller there's not really much of a reason to buy the macbook right now and that hasn't been updated at all this year so you know if if you really need a smaller mac right now then you know don't a MacBook. <laughs> the twelve-inch MacBook is a nightmare to type on. Yeah. But then the new top, the new keyboard on the MacBook Air, presumably is. I mean, it's bigger, but it's, it's not well, going to be nice to type on. Yeah, this is the thing. We love the keyboards on the old MacBook Air. It's got that kind of nice clackety feel. I, yeah. I don't know. People it's, feel it's like they of, they um, know they're pressing the keys. Yeah. And nowadays, keyboards, um, they're kind of because they've made the Macs a lot slimmer. The keyboard's been redesigned, and they're having been some issues with some of the keyboards in old <coughs> MacBooks, um old MacBooks, like from the 2016 sort of era um with dust getting trapped under the keys so they've actually changed the keyboard design although they haven't said that's why um and the new macbook air has this new keyboard and yeah i don't like it as much as the old macbook air keyboard but it's one of those kind of price you have to pay if you want a slimmer mac it's on my christmas list <laughs> uh i'm gonna wrap this off uh, with uh, another Apple product um, <laughs> because I finally, finally got a new phone this year uh, and I got the uh, iPhone XR uh, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, I, for a good two years, kind of struggled with a 16 gig model where I, like it was constantly full. Oh, how, how could anyone survive 16 gigabytes oh. now? Oh. I know, it was constantly full. It was, uh, it would, it was slow. It was breaking down. It had about, probably a five hour battery life by the end of it um and uh just upgrading to the 10r which uh thought long and hard you know between the 10r and 10s and i don't feel like i bought a cheaper version of the product i feel like i've got a really quality product on my hands that um, really is a surprise it. about the xr compared to the xs it's, it's like you could have seen the xr as a replacement for last year's x or 10 even yeah but um it's it's got almost exactly the same spec as the xs plus its battery life is better so you know there are yeah. lots of reasons to prefer it yeah i've never run out of battery i just got back from iceland and, and i love the camera uh it it's it's great i love it uh and it's the best thing that i bought all year the portrait mode doesn't work on 
it does humans does it? It doesn't. No. no. The portrait mode is a bit more fake. So with the XS, it's kind of using the two cameras, and it's been very clever and sort mm. of bringing the two pictures together. It's all sort of software on the XS, XR, and, it and also it doesn't that. doesn't give you that same sort of zoomed in effect that you get when you take portrait pictures with the X or the XS or any of them because um, you're basically using exactly the same lens. So yeah. the picture looks no different. It's just the background that changes. Jeez. Clarify what you mean by non-humans. <laughs> <laughs> Dogs. Is, is that not a fairly simple? <laughs> well, it could be objects. It could be cats. It could be yeah. dogs. So, it could so be clouds. On the, so you know. on the ten on the on the ten S, you can do any object. It can be a bottle. It could be a cat. But on the ten R, cats it's are not designed, objects, David. <laughs> well, I mean, humans are objects technically. Um, but on the ten R, <laughs> the ten R has face recognition software built in, so it looks specifically for faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if yeah. your cat looked exactly like a person, then you'd be absolutely fine. Get a Nicholas Cage looking um, cat. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, cats usually look like Hitler, don't they? That's the most common one. Um, but. They act like Hitler, or not. Um, but anyway, it won't work. <laughs> wow, it won't. I don't know what I'm going off. It's on a, controversial on a in the final minutes of this podcast. Um, cats, let's, let's end cats it, end act it, end like it. Hitler. End it, end, end the podcast. Um, yeah, but it won't work on a cat because it doesn't recognise it's a face. Therefore, it doesn't apply the portrait mode. And there you go. Thanks. Great. Uh, that is all we've got for you. Thank you very much for your patience with our coughing <laughs> and spluttering. We're we're all sick in the office. We all are ready for the Christmas break and the um, Christmas party later. Yes. Uh, I think this is probably our last pod of the year. Um, if it is, thank you very much for listening, uh, for putting up with us all year, and we will see you again in the new year. Thank you. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.